the scripture reading today comes from Acts 17, 1 to 10a. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, <laughs> gave me hard words to say, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went to the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them for the script, from the scriptures, explaining and providing explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few, and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd said, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post, uh, others post, bound, bound, post bond and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Thanks, Steph. Well, here we are in Thanksgiving. We're into a series, the Community Bible Experience, where about 100 of us signed up for Connect Groups, and I think more of us are going through this reading program where we're, we're actually going through, it's called The Books of the Bible. It's just the New Testament in a reformatted kind of way, uh, different order. And uh, many of us, uh, of our Connect Groups, I think all of our Connect Groups started this week where people were reading, you're reading, and then uh, getting together to discuss it. And I've been hearing good things already from the Connect Groups that started this week. And then what we're doing, of course, in our message series is we're kind of pacing along with this and and uh, really looking at the scripture text for that week and, and really asking the question, how is God moving us? How is God uh, challenging us? And maybe whoever's sharing, it'll, I guess, mostly be me, but others who are sharing through this fall will be asking that same question. It'll kind of merge out of the passages that we've been reading. As I read this week's passages, it was the, the book of Acts, that history of the early church, as well as two early letters of Paul, first and second Thessalonians, exactly the community that was mentioned in the Acts passage. As I read through it, kind of heading toward Thanksgiving weekend, it's not a surprise that I was naturally drawn to gratitude. I mean, that's on my mind. I, it's a Thanksgiving sermon, and you need to hear something about Thanksgiving, right? Isn't that what they all say? Anyway, I was naturally drawn to that. But the theme of Thanksgiving actually stood out a lot in these two little letters, First and Second Thessalonians, that Paul wrote to these Christians. He had concerns he needed to address. There were some issues going on, things he wanted to say. But overall, when you read it, Paul was just so, so thankful for these followers of Jesus. I don't know if you heard that in the reading, but let me just rattle through real quick a couple of the, a few of the verses that really stand out showing how thankful that Paul is to God for these Christians. Here they are. Right at the very start of the first letter, right in the first couple verses, Paul says, we always thank God for all of you. This was the passage that was read on that video, which I didn't even know they were going to do. So this was whew, connected. Um, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, 
your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then a little later, Paul says, in the same uh, 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. That's in the first letter. In the second letter, Paul opens up in a very similar way. Right at the very start, he says, We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for one another is increasing. And then just a few verses later, Paul again expresses his thanksgiving to God for the fact that God had saved them and had drawn them into his family. Thankful, thankful, thankful. That's what comes out when you read these letters. And that's what's in Paul's mind as he he thinks about this group of Christians that he's now separated from. When he thinks about them, when he remembers their names, when he remembers the stories, what, what really swells up in him is he's so thankful for them. He's so thankful to God for them. That's the tone of these two letters. Yes, he had concerns. There were some things going on that he wanted to talk about that he needed to address. Uh, Areas he needed to even challenge them on. But first and foremost, he's just really thankful to God for them, and he wants them to know it. And that's important, isn't it? You know, when when you think, it was a little side note, little relationship tip, I guess. You know, when you have something you need to address with someone, someone you love, maybe someone you're married to, maybe someone you live with, maybe a friend, you know, and you, maybe you're really upset about something, you kind of want to go in, ready to fight. Isn't it worth taking a little moment and just pausing and remind yourself what you're thankful for in this person? You might have to, maybe that will have to stretch a while, I don't know, but to think about, like, okay, here's what I'm thankful for about this person. Here's the ways this person is built into my life. Here, here's, here's the gifts this person is to me. So that when you then go in to address this difficult thing, the tone, perhaps, of what you're going to say has changed because you're now thankful for them, right? That's true on the, on, the, on the giving end. If you're the one that needs to maybe offer some correction or raise some issue, that if you're reminded of how thankful you are for them, it's going to change your tone, Right? But it's also good in the receiving end. I mean, if someone has to bring something difficult to you, or maybe they, they do want to challenge you on something, if you know this person loves you, if you know how thankful they are for you, if they actually tell you that, isn't it just a little easier to maybe hear what they have to say? I think that's just true. This is also true in these letters that Paul wrote. He has some things he wants to say, some difficult conversations. His first connection with these people was interesting. We heard it in, in uh, the Acts passage that I gifted to Steph this morning without any pronunciation prep. Um, sorry, Steph. And, and, and here's Paul comes into this city. It's an influential city. He's on the move like he always is. He looks for these strategic places, right? These, these big market cities where people are coming in from all over because when the good news takes hold in people's lives there and then they return to their villages and their families and other cities, the good news spreads. So he goes into this town and he does what he always does. He looks for local uh, Jewish believers first and he connects with them. And there's others that are, that are there and people hear the good news about the Messiah and they respond pretty strongly. There's a lot of people that come to faith. And they're excited, and their lives are being changed, and trouble comes up. Which is often the case, right? When, when God is at work, and lives are being changed, and people are choosing to follow Jesus, opposition 
can arise. Well, in this case, it was a riot, like a city riot. I wish my preaching would cause a city riot. You know, oh, never mind. I was going to burn up some vehicles, but let's not go there. So a city riot follows, and then they can't find Paul. So they find the guy who had had the, uh, you know, hospitality to put him up, Jason. They drag him on the street. They beat him. They accuse him of treason. I mean, this guy's like, wow. And then in the dead of night, they whisk Paul away to another city to do it all over again. That city was, was more receptive. But the believers who are left behind here in Thessalonica, these Christians, they're kind of confused, right? Like Paul is there. It's been a big deal. And all of a sudden, in the dead of night, he's gone. And it seems like, when you read the letters, they maybe are feeling a little bit abandoned by him. Like, where is this guy now? And, and what does it mean for us? And I thought he was going to be, I thought he said he was going to be here a little long, you know, that kind of thing. And then to top it all off, it seems like maybe some others have come in and have begun to say, yeah, that Paul guy, he just comes and goes, you know, you can't really trust him, whatever. And so they begin to question like, hey, is Paul like, is he really, does he care for us? Has he forgotten us? These letters that Paul writes are kind of as a way of reconnecting with them to say, look, I do love you. I'm thankful for you and and this is kind of in a lot of the letters actually paul's detailing the circumstances trying to explain what has happened so he wants them to know that his heart is for them that he remembers them with thanksgiving when he considers what is going on and he also then wants to help them keep following jesus by offering them some some important teaching well as we've been reading we've been paying attention to how god's word moves us and i want to tell you as i read these passages acts First and Second Thessalonians. When I read them, I realized that just as Paul was so thankful for these Christians, I am so thankful for you. That's what happened to me as I was reading this, and I, I just want to I want to I want to share that with you. That I read this and I realized how thankful I am for you, you individually, you as a church. How thankful I am for your heart for others. Your your service in the community, and all the ways, all the many different ways through your work, through different organizations, on your block, in family, the ways that you serve others. I'm thankful for your love for my family, your love for me. Tennille and I often talk about how confident we are in your love for us and how that's demonstrated in so many different ways. Not all pastors have that experience. We're very thankful. I'm thankful for your generosity for your commitment. I'm thankful for your friendship. I'm thankful that we're not the kind of church that has this massive chasm between the pastor and the people. You know what I'm saying? Capital P. But that we can walk together and be friends and explore this faith journey together and follow Jesus. I'm very thankful that you're in my life. That, that's really what came out at first. I do thank God for you. I thank God in my prayers for you. Thank God when I journal I brag about you when I'm with other pastors. You know, this last week, I was in Canmore for a few days. Tanil and I were in Canmore for a pastor and spouse retreat. We had a, a couple days with Steve Bell, if you know who Steve Bell is. It was awesome. It was just, you know, this like private concert for some, uh, some of us pastors and spouses. It was, it was great. Um, but when we left there, Tanil said, you know what, Tom? I think you make other pastors feel bad about their churches because you... <laughs> You talk too much about yours, about how awesome your people are and how great. And I said, well, too bad. I'm just really thankful for you guys. And I, I do tend to perhaps 
talk about you a little too much. But anyway, so as I reflected on this, I realized that Paul is just so thankful for these. I'm so thankful for you. But as I sat with these verses a little more, especially those first uh, three verses in First Thessalonians, in the very first letter, I realized that my, my thankfulness to God for you deepened because I began to reflect on Paul wasn't just thankful for them, but he, he was thankful for some particular things. Thankful, uh, and he kind of draws them out. So I just want to tease out those a little bit uh, just to kind of deepen what I am thankful for you or to God for you about. The first thing is that I'm thankful to God for his work in you. Right at the very start, Paul says, we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. And as I dug into that, this work produced by faith is actually more about God's work in your life as a result of this trusting faith we've placed in God. It's about the activity of the Holy Spirit in us and how as we place our lives in the hands of our Father, He goes about producing in us a work. He, there's activity. There's, there's, there's things that are coming out of us. There's change that's happening in our lives. There's ministry that's being birthed. And, and that's significant because when I look around our church, I look around our community, that's what I see. I see the ways that God is at work in us. I remember looking into the eyes of one of our teenagers just a few weeks ago and hearing about how she's growing to trust in Jesus and how um, she's choosing life and how she's following and discovering all that God has for her. So I, 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 I was talking to a new family who's growing in their call and their understanding of their call to raise their precious little ones in the love of Jesus. I was talking to a man who talked about how He's growing in his trust in God's provision. And as he's growing in his trust in God's provision, he's noticing that he's growing now in his generosity, his generosity to others. Witnessing, I I, I saw in the last few weeks, witnessing a a shift in someone's life who'd been struggling with addictions and is finally in a place where they're willing to get help. Hearing the story of someone who struggled for a long time with a more cynical attitude, a negativity. And, and as they have let the Holy Spirit come in, as Jesus has been transforming their minds by his goodness and grace, they're seeing a shift. Now, I'm not using names because you're in the crowd. These are real stories. This is us. We're protecting your privacy. But I am so thankful to God for you and the work that Jesus is doing in your life. Lives are changing as a result. That's the first thing. The next thing I'm thankful for is your work with God. Paul says, we remember before our God and Father your labor prompted by love. This is quite an image, this labor of love. And uh, I don't know if it brings to your mind the image of a woman laboring in birth, but that's actually at the, the root of this, of this image. Now, I witnessed that once, twice, but once in particular, with the first coming of Ethan, uh, with the first coming of our first child. How do you put that? When Ethan was born. Um, to Neil, it was hard and it was long. It was the longest night of my life. It was much longer for her. as she labored and labored and labored and labored and labored. And to see that kind of labor prompted by, by love, by our love, but by our love for our child. And, and then, of course, coming through that incredible experience Laboring to the point of utter exhaustion, I have seen it. I've witnessed it. And it certainly was true and has been true uh, for many others. When I think of you, and this is what Paul says when he sees these Thessalonican Christians, he sees how they've labored 
prompted by love, but to the point of exhaustion because of their love for Jesus, because of their love for others. And that's what I see in our community. As I talk to you and I hear stories, I hear about how due to the love of Jesus in your life, how you're overcoming those boundaries and you're stepping up to your neighbor's door to care for them when care is needed. I hear stories of how you are befriending lonely people. Who, who let's be honest, sometimes the lonely people are, are hard to befriend. But you're going out. You're crossing over that barrier of un, in, you know, lack of comfort, discomfort, and you're, you're reaching out. Stepping up when the need arises and even giving at points where you feel like you don't have anything else to give, but you're, you're giving because Jesus has called you to. I see how many of you labor to help others find Jesus, to help families follow him, to help women and men and children discover their purpose in life as a child of God. And realizing that as we do this, it really is worth our effort. It really is worth our, even our exhaustion. I see how some of you sign up for a month of Sundays to work with these children. And then, unbelievably, you sign up for another month. Maybe not in a row. You know, it looks like you carried away. But uh, you sign up again. Because you know how important it is that our kids are raised knowing Jesus. I, I see the teams that come, that show up early to lead worship, who pray and dream and prepare for this worship gathering because Jesus is worthy of our worship, but because you are worth it. And, and planning and, and bringing it all together so that we together can worship Jesus. I see and hear about how many of you pray consistently for the lost in your neighborhood, how you pray consistently for me and for our leadership team. And then I, I know and hear lots of stories from you of how your labor prompted by love is being worked out just in your own families as you serve your toddlers on those long Thursday afternoons. Of how you are stepping up to maybe, maybe for some of us, even raising grandkids or nieces or nephews or, or family friends or just life situations where being able to step in and, and help with, with their children or with other needs. I know that some of you are growing to see your high school more as a place where Jesus walks. And because you know that Jesus is present in that high school, he really is, not a God-forsaken place. Jesus is present there, that you're able to then be his ambassador there. You're able to reach out in the name of Jesus. You're able to befriend that person who's ignored. You're able to reach out and say a kind word to those who have been cut down through sarcasm or, or whatever. And I see many of you deciding, who are deciding, have decided in advance what you're going to actually sacrifice in your life so that you can live and give more generously into the mission that Jesus has called us into to, to make disciples who make disciples. I am very thankful for your labor prompted by love. But the question that comes out of that is why? And why would we serve to the point of exhaustion? Why would we do that? It's the third thing that Paul mentions. He says, we remember before our God and Father your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thankful to God for your commitment to God's work over the long haul. You know, it was Winston Churchill who gave us the immortal words. And, well, he gave us a few, but particularly his famous speech to never give up. Remember that? Never give up. Never give in. And it echoed out over this, these people who were feeling beaten down and were facing an overwhelming foe. We also face a dangerous foe, a more dangerous foe. And it's Jesus who cries to us every day, never give up. Never give in. Why? Because he's already won this war. He's already served 
notice on death. He's already destroyed the work of the evil one. And as a result of what he has done, it gives us hope. Hope to carry on. Hope to get up again. Hope to serve even when we don't know if we can serve anymore. Hope to love. Hope to fight right to the very end. To come to the end of our lives and know that we didn't shirk back. We didn't coast. We left it all in the field. And I see that in you. I see that in so many of you. And I'm very thankful for your enduring commitment over some of you decades and decades to see this church flourish, to see people who've become disenfranchised from the church somehow welcomed back into the community, to put your own likes and dislikes to the side for the sake of the lost who are far away from Jesus and will never come to know Jesus' love and grace if we aren't willing to suffer a little inconvenience, a little discomfort, a little pain for the sake of others. And you don't give up. You keep serving because you know what really matters. You're inspired by this hope we have in Jesus I'm thankful for our 77-year legacy here at this church. How for 77 years, brothers and sisters have been gathering as covenanters and have been serving over the long haul. Last week, I sat with a number of our elders at different times, but I particularly sat with, with Eleanor Tomke, who are related to some of you here, and in the early service, a whole bunch of her kids and grandkids were here. I sat with her because... Um, and I was reminded, it doesn't take very long when you sat with Eleanor before you hear her talk about the kids. who are, Some of them are like 50 and 60 years old now, you understand. But over the many generations that she served in this church, faithfully, week after week, month after month, year after year, passionately committed to seeing children know the love of Jesus for them and grow up following him. She served. She served till she could serve no more. That's inspiring. And I don't think she has any idea what awaits her in the resurrection when she is called good and faithful servant, the lives she's impacted, the many people who are following Jesus today because she served out of the hope she has. She knows a bit of it, but can you think? of all that she will receive and all that she will come to know and the ways that were beyond her imagination that God used her her gift. And there are others, of course. Many, I think, even in this church, I do think of Francis. I think of Emma, Walter. I think of those two brothers who traveled in the 30s all over the Pacific Northwest and the United States and then up into B.C. And as a result of these brothers, they, they sparked little communities along the way. And it was, it was them that sparked a community to begin Erickson Covenant Church in 1939. And then the Nelson Covenant Church, same year, same group of brothers. And they would travel through and provide support and all the while reaching children, <laughs> running Sunday schools, running camps. And uh, it's these kind of people, this legacy, who saw the big picture and they were inspired by the hope of what Jesus had called them into and they served and they served and they served. I'm thankful to them both saints, both past and present, who are willing to sort of leave it all in the field for the sake of Jesus, for the sake of others. That's what I'm thankful for, and I'm thankful when I think of all those things for you, that we're in this together, that this work produced by faith, labor prompted by love and endurance inspired by hope is part of our reality as a church. When you bring these three things together, you see faith, love, and hope, kind of the triad of thanksgiving, the foundation of thanksgiving. We have so much to be thankful for. But above all, the fact that God is present in us and working, 
and through us, seeing lives change and bringing us into a greater hope and a greater mission than you and I could ever imagine, that is a lot to be thankful for. If you don't hear anything else today, I want you to know how thankful I am for you. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful for your work in us. I'm thankful to you for these people. For the call you've placed on our lives to follow you. And as we follow you, to see other lives changed and brought into your family and transformed by your love. We are thankful. Thank you that you've called us to follow you. Thank you that you're working our lives. And I pray that this attitude of thanksgiving would just permeate our relationships with each other, our, our vision of what you're doing, and even transform the difficulties that we experience on this path of following you, that we would remember, inspired by the hope we have in you, Jesus, that there is a greater reality, that there is a greater promise that makes today's sufferings pale in light of the glory, in light of the goodness, in light of your promise. So on this Thanksgiving weekend, Jesus, we thank you. We give you glory and praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you this week. God bless you today. May you have a happy Thanksgiving.